Hello and welcome to For the Love of Truth. This is episode 288 and I am talking to Anthony Samaroff, who is a researcher and writer and we'll be discussing his ebook, the free ebook you can get a copy of called Seven Big Pharma Myths Debunked. What I'm going to do now before we bring Anthony onto the show is just quickly read you the introduction from his website about the book, which is sevenpharmamyths.com, and there will be a link in the description. Seven Big Pharma Myths Debunked. I'm sure you've heard as much as I have about the wonders of modern medicine and how we are all living longer, happier, healthier lives because of it. Well, that's funny, because according to official sources, healthcare is the third leading cause of death and life expectancy has been going down since 2014. That's not all. Despite spending $4 trillion a year on healthcare, cancer has tripled since the 70s. Diabetes is skyrocketing. Arthritis is endemic. Heart disease is epidemic. Alzheimer's disease is through the roof. Autism has reached unprecedented levels. Obesity is off the charts. The rates of multiple sclerosis, lupus, asthma and migraines have all hit the ceiling. Do you want to find out why and what you can do about it? You should, because unless we change something about the way we look at healthcare, we are going to live shorter lives than our parents and maybe even our grandparents. Discover the lies used to sell dangerous and ineffective treatments that are ruining your health and emptying your pocketbook. It's one thing to know a few political points to argue with friends. It's another to really understand what's going on and how to avoid poisoning yourself. This ebook exposes the most widely held myths about pharma and teaches you what you can do to take your health into your own hands. And it finishes with none dare call it quackery, which I thought was really, really pertinent. So without further ado, please join me and Anthony on our discussion. And also remember, you are amazing. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Take care. Bye bye. Anyway, so Anthony, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join me. Thank you so much for having me on For the Love of Truth. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, For the Love of Truth, Adrian. Like, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying. It's great to be on this this end of the show. Um, I was just saying before we went on the air that I heard your recent show with Amanda Volmar and that uh, you told me that you took a strike for it. Truth's not as popular as you think in certain platforms. Mm. She's um, she's a marked woman, radioactive. Yeah, 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 she is, but she's a, she's one of the real kind of loud voices and has been for a very long time. Yeah, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy her appearances on podcasts myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we 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 resonate really well together. So you know, it, it for me, it felt like a very quick conversation when I looked at the recording. It was nearly two hours long. Well, I mean, I, I guess that's what I was enjoying. Like you both clearly have um, good radio chemistry together, so that was pretty. That's pretty cool. Too hot for the internet to handle. That's why they give you a strike. <laughs> well, they can give out what they want to give out. Their choice. Right. So we'll we'll try and avoid. I don't know if this is going on YouTube, but we'll try and avoid. Well, I think the best thing to do with this, Anthony, given the kind of you know, the start point I'd like on the conversation, is that I will put a quick pointer on YouTube to this, but I'll put the bulk of it on the other platforms. That way, you and I can have a you know we can talk freely as we should be able to. Okay, excellent. Cool. That sounds good. Yeah. So one of, one of the things I did want to talk to you about was I've been having a look at some of your work, and I think you're doing really good stuff. And you kindly sent me a copy of your ebook, The Seven Big Pharma Myths Debunked. And I wonder whether you might talk a little bit about that because it's a really good introduction to a lot of the nonsense. Well, thanks very much. And everyone can get the ebook for free from 7pharmamyths.com. The number seven, he, harm, a, and myths, like Greek mythology. And please, yeah, just put it into your browser and download it. And then, um, yeah, if you stay on, you'll get... um, updated about other articles and things and you can always unsubscribe if you want yeah i'm writing a big book on the pharmaceutical industry but i thought that the the good stuff's doing no good on my hard disk so i kind of collected it together in an ebook to kind of whet people's appetite and get the information out there and 
you know, link with amazing people like you, Adrian, who are putting out good work and give me something to talk about to let people know that I exist and I'm good at collecting this information and sharing it and that there's more to come. And we are in such a critical point. It's kind of exciting how short shows like yours have emerged into this environment. And, you know, there's a little network forming of um, truth seekers around this area. So I thank you for saying it's a good little introduction. I tried to put some of the most shocking information that I come across up front in the book so that you can, you know, email it on to your pals and stuff like that. And my favorite thing is to kind of like use the system's own organizations against it, you know, the um, just reports from places like the AMA, the CDC, the NIH, and some of the top journals and say, well, look, they themselves are, say, are admitting this, right? So it could be a lot worse. I mean, it could be a lot worse than what they're saying. If you go to alternative sources, you might find even more damning information, but you don't even need to do that because if you just take what the AMA themselves admit, that's you know pretty much enough to debunk the pharmaceutical industry itself, I would say, and a, and a lot of the benefits that have been attributed to it very widely. I couldn't agree more. They, uh, and that is one of the very best ways to go about all of this is to use the information that they're generating. And then it's nowhere near as accurate, I think, as it should be based on other stuff I'm looking at. But it's a really good way of saying, look, you've said this. Yeah. Yeah. For example, most people think that we're living longer due to pharmaceutical medicine. But the American Medical Association themselves admit that 25 out of the 30 years they say we've gained are down to improvements in public health. And that's stuff that terrain people say all the time. Oh, it was better water. It was better sanitary conditions. It was plumbing. Oh, well, then you've got the AMA um, admitting it. And I've got two or three other major mainstream citations on that as well. That kind of thing. So I kind of try and like start by just like kicking the door in and say right first of all everything you think you know about why we're living longer is uh, everything that promulgated through the culture and you tend to assimilate once we knock that down then maybe there's something a little bit more to build up from there absolutely you mentioned seven myths what are some of the other ones okay one of the sections of the book that i'm writing that just keeps on growing and growing and growing is um the sections on bad science and medicine, like to the point where I'm just going to have to exclude stuff just because, I mean, I don't have room to cover everything in, in one book. And uh, I guess there's kind of two elements to that. One is the vast, huge number of treatments that were widely prescribed and given to people and... um oh, no, sorry, you know, oh, we were butchering you. Like, I mean, you might remember, <laughs> like, Angelina Jolie, um, you know, yeah. preemptively cut both her breasts off, like, yep. what the hell? And then, you know, later, oh, oh, sorry, we don't we don't tend to perform radical mastectomies anymore because, you know, they're no, they're no better than re removing a lump, actually. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sorry, sorry about that. But, like, yeah, no, but we've got this other great treatment. <laughs> that you should really consider. And the reason why is because the research promoting this great treatment um, appears in the same scientific journals as uh, the one with the previous treatment that we were widely giving to everyone before you know, we decided that wasn't the case anymore. So when you look at something like what happened with the Vioxx scandal, I think it's really, really important, um, really, really informative because people like to think that whenever there's a drug scandal, oh, that's just the kind of thing that happens every now and then. You know, things are bound to slip through the net. But what I'd really like to demonstrate in my writing is the incentive structure of the entire system is such that it will guarantee these kinds of results. And Biox is a really good example of that because... What you have is top medical journals like the New England Journal of Medicine publishing articles saying that this new treatment is safer than other existing treatments which are cheaper. Why do they want to promote new treatments? Well, the drug company wants to promote new treatments because they're in patent. So it doesn't really matter if it really is safer 
are more effective all the older treatment is what you want is you want people to buy the new treatment because it's more expensive the journal i mean okay they were told by a bunch of people a bunch of experts that the data backing up their articles were shoddy and they said well we can't go policing every statement we've made as a consequence, you know, 140,000 people died and 60,000 extra heart attacks. Um, I think it might have been 140,000 heart attacks and 60,000 people dying, according to the official figures, but it would actually have been a lot more than that. Meanwhile, the New England Journal of Medicine continued to sell reprints of the flawed article to the manufacturer so that the manufacturer can send out these articles to doctors who make them think that the new treatment's safer than older treatments. So the New England Journal of Medicine profits from promulgating false information. When people get sued or fined, it's for less than they are, they've profited already from the drug. No one ever goes to jail. The regulator, Dr. Graham, told the FDA this, you know, this treatment is shoddy. He was told to shut his mouth, but the pharmaceutical company is their client. He was offered a promotion to shut the hell up. Right. So this shows that top journals and the FDA itself colludes. Right. But you can't just go, oh, well, that's the one thing that that kind of thing's bound to slip through the net from the time from time to time. That is what the whole incentive structure of the system is geared to turn out. And one hour, one sorry, one order for reprints from a drug manufacturer to a journal can run over a million dollars, right? So, or millions of dollars. So where is the interest in objectivity? We're bound to continue to receive bad science in medicine over and over and over again, just so long as pharmaceutical companies are incentivized to prescribe new treatments because they're in patent. Even when old treatments, let's say, even herbal medicines or nutrition-based approaches or detoxification or anything is not patented. Well, journals are, are receiving advertising money from the pharmaceutical industry. And obviously, the FDA provides a very narrow funnel. They decide what gets approved and they, do, they decide what isn't. So you just basically go and lobby and um, blackmail, bribe, whatever, put your own people in there. There's only one point of entry into the market. It's through the FDA. So the only thing you need to do is cap, capture the FDA and you're sorted. It's structurally erroneous, but it's structurally designed that way intentionally. Correct. So there's lots of tricks that pharmaceutical companies can play to make it look like their drugs are more safe or more effective. They are. Some of the most, and I go through these in the ebook. You should check it out, sevenpharmamyths.com. Like, you know, some of the worst stuff is in. I'm a mental health professional, you know, I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist, I work online, and some of the worst, it's so interesting, like some of the worst cases that I had of people coming to me saying they were mistreated by mental health professionals was psychiatrists. I mean, I literally had someone tell me that a psychiatrist, they told the psychiatrist that their partner was physically abusing them, and the psychiatrist picked up the phone and called their partner to check out if the story was true in front of them. Christ's sake. Right? What the fuck? Right? So, um, and it was, it's really interesting because you get like the slew of like stories, people being patronized and um, treated like numbers, you know, barely talked to and then just sent off with a prescription by psychiatrists. And these people are getting paid like six figures, sometimes twice six figures, maybe several times that to basically dispense poison. And some of the worst science in medicine is like psychiatry. There was cases where, I mean, you might get Robert Whittaker on who wrote Anatomy of an Epidemic to talk about psychiatry, if you can get him. He's like, in some of these antipsychotic trials for antipsychotics, they took a bunch of people who were on the drug, took them off the drug, then randomized them, half of them, into what they called a placebo group, and the other half they put back on the drug. And they said, well, this group seems to perform better than <laughs> this group. <laughs> you mean the group that was withdrawing from the drug? Yeah. The group that was withdrawing from the drug 
performed badly off the drug. What a shocking surprise that must come as. Hmm. Who'd have thought, eh? Hmm. And this gets through the peer reviewers. This gets through the FDA. They approve these antipsychotics. And people, and they are given out to people that to knock them out. And, you know, it's a coin toss. It's probably more like the role of the barrel in Russian roulette. If being knocked out happens to make you feel, if, you're, if you feel so shit all the time that being knocked out you know, feels a little bit better to you than um, than what you usually feel. You might feel like you're benefiting from the drug for a while, but the the long term data says that people who start these drugs turn out worse in the long term than people who just stay off them completely. Nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. They just keep on pumping money and sometimes public money into the deep pockets of psychiatrists. Yeah, well, and it's it's easy money in one way because you're dealing with relatively mentally frail individuals that people, you know, they, they don't necessarily take them seriously because they can't see. If you break an arm and there's a bone sticking out, that's a piece of cake to say, yeah, you've got a broken arm. It's very hard for someone to look at someone with some mental health issues and realise anything is wrong because there's no... Not, not, there are some, but there's not many physically obvious outward signs of it. And people are vulnerable. Yeah. And they feel really, really bad. Like, I mean, imagine, you know, waking up every day and feeling depressed or anxious and just like not wanting to feel as bad as you do. You know, you're going to take pills. A lot of people are going to take pills, right? You know, I've got a friend that's a doctor that I speak to. He's a mainstream doctor and he gives me the scoop on what's going on inside, especially writing book. It's, it's important. And, you know, he's, he has people coming for SSRIs and they, they want their pills. And he says you, you can tell them, you know, it's, it's likely to cause sexual dysfunction. They want their pills. They come back. Oh, you know, I can't get it up anymore. Okay, well, I mean, I can give you another pill for that. Oh, guess what? Now you've got migraines. Oh, well, you know, I can give you another. Now do you want some beta blockers? All oh, right, they, those have scooped all your potassium out. Yeah. You know, now you've got another condition. But that, that's how the game works, isn't it? That That's why it's, it's flawed because it one leads to another leads to another. So all they're doing is creating more demand for more of their own product. They are. And, you know... It used to be the case that if you sold, sold a product that caused harms, you know, you were liable for those those harms. I mean, you can basically blame the increasing rates of dementia on the number of pills that people take during their life. But I don't see the pharmaceutical companies paying for people's um, care homes and live-in carers and things like that because they've got dementia. Maybe if they did, they would be less likely to prescribe. But that's the very first thing they do. It's the very first thing they did with all this, you know, COVID hoax. They they indemnified the pharmaceutical industry against all possible harm. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. And I find it hard to blame the pharmaceutical industry entirely for this because the re- readiness which with which everyone seemed to go along with it and not have a problem with that fact, not only were the facts of this in plain view, it's not like they did much of a job to hide it, but when you told people about it, they were act- actively hostile towards you. I mean, just a couple of things um, on the mental illness thing. Because this is relevant, you know, Pfizer, for example, promoted off-label, which means doctors are allowed to prescribe drugs for conditions that they are not approved for, as long as they are approved for a condition. 
based on their own discretion, and that's called prescribing off-label, because there might be some studies that say it's good for this kind of thing. However, the pharmaceutical companies are not allowed to advertise them to doctors or to patients unless they, for conditions they've not been approved for. When Pfizer were found guilty, for example, for encouraging doctors to provide to prescribe Neurontin, Gabapentin, same compound, to mental health sufferers who are diagnosed with bipolar disorder. They're taken to court and they're sued. Their own studies show that people with bipolar disorder do worse on the drug than off the drug, and they're illegally promoting it to doctors. The amount they're sued is a fraction of what they actually profited from the drug. So you could just say, you know, I don't know, those are like our stationary coffee. It's a cost of business to them. That's all it is. Yeah, exactly. No one goes to jail. In one leaked email, Pfizer's own own medical director referred to Neurontin as snake oil. And this all comes out. Right. But here's the thing. It's not even reported on the evening news. Right. So there's tons of doctors. Oh, you've got bipolar. I'll prescribe gabapentin to you. That might help. The doctors don't know. The patients definitely don't know. The company's sued, but it's just a cost, an operating cost. And people would like, again, oh, I guess that kind of thing happens from time to time. Hardly. I mean, GlaxoSmithKline suppressed negative findings about the effects of their antidepressant paroxetine, you know, which is sold as Paxil or Siroxat. Hmm. You know, they, a leaked document for them gave instructions to effectively manage the dissemination of these data in order to minimize potential negative commercial impact, right? Which is a really nice way of saying, just make sure no one finds out or we won't be able to keep making money by selling drugs to depress people that will make them suicidal. So they get fine $3 billion, but that's only that only represents a quarter of the total sales of the drug over the years, right? And this is like, no one goes to jail, right? Every single freaking penny that these people have should be taken from them and redistributed to people who took the drug. And then they might think twice about repressing data. Yeah, well, they should also go to jail. Well, the thing is, I don't really want the taxpayer having to pay for jailing them. So maybe they should just be sent out to like a village in the Congo or something like that, where where they can build houses for poor people for the rest of their life or do something useful. Because I just don't really want think the taxpayer should have to then pay for their meals and things like that in jail. But definitely some way or another, they should have to like provide service to humanity because they've done so much harm. When that happens, then you know, we'll start seeing different behaviors emerge because there's no consequences for it. These are all, they're still all millionaires. They're still having champagne dinners with congressmen and senators. They're still, I'm sure, taking a yacht out to Hawaii or something like that and, you know, enjoying a long weekend with their mistress or whatever in the, in the Caymans. So this is the world that we're living in, right? There's tremendous problems with just people not registering studies that have unfavorable outcomes and then just, you know, submitting to the scientific community those studies that are favorable to their products. This isn't news. This has been reported on for decades and official agencies keep on saying they'll do something about it, but they never do. And there's been cases where they did create online registries of papers and instead of making them searchable PDFs, what they did was they got some office lackey to scan them and um, upload them as pictures into the PDF documents <laughs> so that people couldn't just search the site for what they were looking for. I'm, I'm guessing we're meant to believe that this is done by mistake. Oops. You know, and then I get these comments on my facebook from you know people from the so-called skeptic society about you know how gerson therapy or something like that is snake oil and how i'm their enemy because i'm 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 promoting i'm promoting treatments that don't work me right 
some guy that's fucking living in Mexico keep my costs down so I can spend my so I can spend most of my time writing a book. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, well it's it's just projection. They're projecting their insanity outwards and then they can see it all around them because they can't possibly be guilty of it. That's all they're doing. It's crazy. I mean I I I, I don't know how these people who are the like the least skeptical of any mainstream narrative ever managed to corner the word skeptic. You know, 128,000 people die a year of properly prescribed pills in America. The right pill, the right dosage, taken at the right time. But all they want to do is go after chiropractors and acupuncturists. That's what they find fun. In their magazine, I would love to do your show with Michael Shermer. I would love to take Michael Shermer, the fake skeptic, cocksucker of Big Pharma, and have a little bit of a debate with him about what his fucking magazine, the Skeptics magazine, is doing to help regular people with the kind of health conditions that they're likely to suffer for in their life. Why is all the government money going to pharma? Have they reversed a single metabolic disease for the four trillion a year America is spent now spending on healthcare? Have they made you less likely to get diabetes? Are you less likely to get Alzheimer's disease? Are levels of autism going up and down? Are people becoming less fat? Are people getting less arthritis? Are people getting less cancer? Are they getting less multiple sclerosis, lupus, asthma? Do less people have migraines? Do your kids have more acne than you have or less acne than you have, right? What are they delivering? What are they giving us for that $4 trillion? Can someone, can Michael Shermer or Sam Harris or any one of these arrogant fucking idiots tell me what we are getting for $4 trillion, $2 trillion of them leased from you out of your paycheck by the tax system, whether you want to pay for it or not, whether you think that it's a good way to spend the money or not, they're going to take it out of your tax taxes. The other $2 trillion fed into these insurance companies who are meant to provide checks and balances and go, no, that treatment doesn't work. I'm sorry, that treatment doesn't work. We're not paying out for that. I'll tell you what, you're fat. That's why you're diseased. Do you know what? For a fraction of the price of coronary bypass surgery, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give $2,000 to your employer and we'll take you away for six weeks to Costa Rica and we'll put you on a little fast, okay? You just won't eat anything. For five weeks, you can just drink water. You just drink. Then we'll see. Then we'll see if you've still got diabetes. Then we'll see if you've still got high blood pressure. And you know what? If you don't do it, we're not going to cover you. We're not going to cover you for your heart attack, your little heart attack, because it's a cause of your own lifestyle decisions. Now, that would cost a fraction of the money. That's maybe what the insurance companies should be telling people. You've hit upon... The, the core hub, I think, of, or the core point of nearly everything that we're seeing around us right now, and that is that until and unless men and women will take responsibility for themselves, their actions, and what they're doing to themselves, nothing will change. But the moment they do, right. all sorts of good things will come about. Well, the thing is, they're, not, they're hardly making it easy for you. I mean, well, first of all, they're all on one side and it's not yours, right? That's the first thing to realize. There are no checks and balances, right? The pharmaceutical companies make money from this approach. The insurance companies make money not by keeping costs down because the more money change hands, the more they pay out. They get something called a kickback. I'm sorry. They get a kickback. I'm sorry. I mean a reimbursement. I don't know why I keep on saying kickback. <laughs> In relation to how much they... They pay out, they get a, a reimbursement. So the more they pay out, the more they take. There are no checks and balances. 
everyone is profiting from the same thing. The whole research structure of the system, let's look at the mechanism, the molecular mechanism for how this one nutrient works. And you can go off and study that for months and say, oh, look, we found this pathway. And then can you not just fucking tell people how to eat healthy? Who the, who the hell cares? Do you know what I mean? But, but oh, no, no, we're not structured to design that. We need to fund the neural link between this pharmaceutical compound and this pathway and the who the hell cares, right? The application of this research is nothing apart from, oh, well, we now we know that. Now, now what are we going to do? Well, I guess another research program. And that's where all the money in the, the university is going. And, um, you know, it's useless. They are the equivalent now of the past where scientists in the church used to debate how many angels could fit on a pinhead, right? That's what they're researching. They never solve problems with the research. It just, it's at a profit center all of its own right. Right. And then if the insurance companies were useful, if they existed in something that is like a sane system, what they'd be doing is they'd go and they'd sue Monsanto for putting glyphosate on all your produce and giving you cancer, screwing up your microbiome. The insurance companies would go, oh, look, we have to pay out shed loads of money because of you. We need to treat the consequences of all the poisonous chemicals you're putting on people's food. So now what we're going to do is we're going to take you to the court, Monsanto, and we're going to sue you. That would be a society that had checks and balances in it. But what have you been working on? I mean, more of the same, really, just as I come across stuff. One, one of the ones that is really capturing my interest right now is how they created this fictional identity, this character, this person that they say is you and I, and then they spend their entire education system and life trying to convince you and I that we identify as this fictional creation, which is theirs, it's not you, because that then is the basis for everything. Is this the straw man? Yeah, the legal, the legal fiction, the, the person. Interesting, yeah. My, the one that has a birthday and a name? Yeah, my brother really got into that um, free man on the land stuff and things like that, and he's used it. The, um, the kind of no contract thing but I, I don't know an awful lot about it if you go on my website there's all sorts of links on the resources page to do with it and there's a fair few videos too that is very interesting that stuff and I've used it as well but my the bit I'm focused on right now is going right back to the beginning to the moment you were created which is the moment of fertilization which is about nine months or so before you were born and that is they use your placenta to create the birth certificate and the birth certificate is the person, and then they require you to animate that. So all of these rules, regulations, etc., apply to the person. They don't apply to you as the man. It's a completely different entity. So the idea that of pointing out to them, again, like you were doing, using their information, how they created stuff to prove it's erroneous to them using their stuff, is a convenient way of you then not being liable to their system. Right. So... So rather than trying to argue within their system, you're simply stepping back and saying, look, you've created a fraud there. That's your fraud. It's nothing to do with me. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you go, well, I'm not allowing myself to be represented by this person, this fictional entity that you've created. I'd be inclined to say, look, I don't identify as that because that's a popular thing right now is I don't identify as whatever. Well put. You know, and, and what, what evidence do you have that you're basing your assumption that I am that mm. on? And you mentioned the placenta. Yeah. They use a term called born alive. Mm. And born alive can be anything that has evidence of life, like a pulse or whatever. There's a whole definition of it. Well, the placenta has that. So that act of violence when you're, when you're born, where they cut the placenta instead of allowing it to continue to do its job for several hours, mm -hmm. it's an act of violence, but also then it's a theft because they treat that as abandoned property. Yes. So some of it's going to be sold for stem cells, et cetera, but also as a band of property, they will claim it as their own. Yes, and once I, I did a show with a nurse who was promoting this in the UK, wait for white. In other words, the placenta must not be cut before it goes white. 
And that right. blood is like so healthy and nutritious to the, the newborn baby. It needs that blood. And daily, every day, people are coming into the world and they, they cut the placenta too early. And again, like no media coverage. This is like critical to people's health. Like they're disadvantaging people so like who knows who we'd be, right? They cut your placenta too early. They slice a piece off your penis. They subject you to all these injections. And people are so ignorant. They don't even stop to question any of it. It's, it's really like the whole COVID thing was such a wake-up call. Like, Because I thought it was bad, but I didn't really realize how bad it was in terms of people's slavish, you know, sucking up to authority and thinking all their... Well, somehow thinking that they're radical and like countercultural as well, like strangely spooky. It's been very good. It's it's refreshing. I found because I've been looking at this kind of stuff for decades now that I can have conversations like you and I are having, and I have them with lots of different people. Whereas you know, five, ten, fifteen years ago, there was very few men and women you could speak to about in this if you could find any of them. Yeah. So it's it's been marvelous how that's happening because. It doesn't take many. Everyone seems to think, oh, it's going to take at least half the people. No, it's not. It's going to take a small percentage of people, and that will change the overall energy and how things happen. Yeah, and we're kind of coalescing together, you know. The people in this movement have become very close-knit. Like, I'm just kind of emerging into it, but um, although my background in this goes back 10, 15 years, you know, I'd already written a ton about the the economics of healthcare that was unpublished and and some percentage of that is going to go into the final book it's going to make two or three chapters because you can't really talk about it without it's, it's one of these things where you don't understand everything anything unless you understand a bit of everything that's right there's a lot of books debunking the pharmaceutical industry coming from all sorts of angles natural health economics this that or the other I think what I really want to offer is kind of like a holistic, panoramic view. If I didn't feel like I had something unique to offer, I wouldn't bother. I'd find something else to do. But I really feel like this is like when I started re- working on this book, I just recognized that this is the most important thing that I could be doing with my life at this juncture in history. And I think that people will find that when they read my articles that. Advantage I have over most people writing in these kind of subjects. I reviewed like a hundred theatre reviews, a hundred fifty plays, or something like that, and edited another, God knows how many theatre reviews for other people. And one thing that you develop by writing reviews is like a popular chatty style. Always have an angle. Start with start the review with a slap in the face. You know, put your most dynamic sentences to the front, and that really just gave me a way of distilling information like nice and simple just like I'm having a chat with you and that can be quite hard when you're trying to take on like scientific information or data or things like that so I always try and bring that like chatty style to my writing and uh, I always have had as many compliments on my style as content so um, I'm hoping to I don't know I'm not really hoping to anything I just wake up in the morning and I know what I'm doing I know this I know we've got a basil on our hands and and that's what I do. And when I was ready, I started reaching out to people like you so that so that we could chat, which I wasn't for a while. Although I've given some presentations at public, you know, at, at sort of liberty or and health freedom oriented events, you know. So we'll see. I feel like it's a very exciting time to be alive. Although sometimes I do. Good. Tell me a little bit about that. We've been living under this veil and these lies of everything on all subjects for so long. And certainly from my viewpoint, I, I thought, actually, you know what? I might not live to see the end of this because no one's making any progress. So few people can see what's going on. And all of a sudden, when the COVID narrative bounced along, I suddenly thought, actually, this is going to change everything because enough people are going to notice. So I think it's exciting because I'm really curious to see what's coming next because it's going to be such an improvement over what's here now. Yes. Well, you know, I'd love to think that we're in the middle of a grand awakening. 
sometimes I see precious little evidence of it, but maybe I'm just so used to swimming in this water, the murky water, that I've forgotten to look up at the light. What I would say is I, and I, I, this is a little bit like, in a sense, I want to hear your perspective on it because it might be a comfort. But if it's not, like, just tell me how it is, what you think. Because I'm thinking, like, so many people have had these shots. When we Now they were adding them to the children's schedule. The CDC have added the COVID shots to the children's schedule. These kids are going into school every day. Some I don't know if they've started shooting them up, dosing them up. Which, by the way, come on, let's come back to this thing of using their own sources. Their own data says, oh, it doesn't last that long and children aren't vulnerable, vulnerable to COVID. So it's like so infuriating that you don't have like a mass protest against this going, what the hell are you doing? That is of zero utility, even by your own standards. Oh, it's fine. It's only my child. It's only the most precious thing to me in the whole world. But, you know, go and go and dose them up with these mRNA jags. Like, I'm just concerned with the state of health that people are going to be in in the next couple of years. Like, here's the thing. The young people used to be healthy so they could work to support the old people. Now we've got an aging population, but the young people have got colitis, chronic fatigue, ME, um, heart disease, all of these things. You know, how how the hell, how the hell are we going to make this work? Yeah, and I, I see where you're coming from. And, and if I looked with that lens, you know, I'd, I'd come to the same conclusions. My, my own view now is that this is down to each and every one of us having our own journey, taking our own responsibility for educating ourselves, for finding a way to sift and sort through all this nonsense and then move forwards. And I can see incredible things coming from that for those who choose to discipline themselves to do that, which is what I think certainly my purpose here is, is to discover that information as best I can and then to conduct my life accordingly. What I am seeing is a growing number of people that are also willing to do that. And they are the ones that will be here, I think, for the long term, because I think the other ones have got some pretty unpleasant stuff coming. Right. So I guess um, we're just going to have to wait and watch and see. But, you know... Yeah, and I've already come to terms with the fact that a lot of people I know, I think, will, will you know, either be horribly ill or die. I've already lost several people. Yeah, how big? This is going to be in, I guess, um, some percentage of people will be desperate enough to be consulting people like us, you know, and other people would rather die than know the truth. And um, Well, that was the journey my father took back in uh, just before all the COVID thing kicked off. See, my, my health journey really started around the time when my mum died. She had brain cancer, but she was tortured to death by the medical industry, and that's really what got me focused in on health. And then when my partner got breast cancer 10 years ago, I thought, I, I, I can't actually watch this happen again, so that's when I've dropped everything and did all the research and worked out you know, the causation behind that and then what the effective you know, remedies would be, and she's fine now. Yeah, well, I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm losing my train of thought then. That's weird, isn't it? How weird is that to lose my train of thought on that? You were telling me <laughs> how your your health journey became and that was the journey that you had to watch your father on, which I think you were going to... Oh, that was it. Thank you. That was a reminder. Yeah. So he he um, basically thought I was a nut job when it came to all this stuff. And when he got cancer, I went down and saw him because we hadn't really spoken in several years. And there's other reasons for that. But I went and saw him and I said, look, I know you think that the stuff I do is stupid and that you trust the doctors implicitly as and when and if you get to the point where the suffering is too great because you realize you are being poisoned to death. I have information, I have materials that I will bring up and down every every two weeks, and I drive 500 miles every two weekends to go and see him, and I'll bring it with me, but I'll never talk about it unless you want to talk about it. And he didn't. And it was really interesting to watch him suffer like mad at their hands and come to his realization that that was what was going on as well. Right. And he was so prideful. And, and so people can be that like that, especially with their children, you know, 
They do oh, a I... lot of people just do not like to be corrected by their children. Like they all and what is the deal with that as well? It's kind of very pitiable. And I've never really understood that mentality, but I've seen it. I've seen a lot of that. Yeah. That's common. It's very common, but it's just, it's just what it is, you know. So it, if people want to take that path, that's their choice. The only issue I take with it is if they want to try and drag me through their choices when I'm busy making my own. I think for me, that's the main thing. It's like, hey, do you know what? If you want to drive off a cliff, that's fine. Go ahead. I just don't want to be in the back seat of the bus when you do it, you know? <laughs> that's right. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm going to open the window and climb out. Thanks. See you later. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, we're we're at the mercy of such compulsion, you know, through the, through the tax system. You know, so far, I've managed to avoid most of being controlled by COVID stuff just by, you know, by traveling to countries that were relatively free during lockdowns and you know, Scotland had, you know, like a soccer game. We had half time, and then they brought the lockdowns back in. So when they, yeah, what do they what do they call her? Sturgeon nippy knickers, wasn't it? She's like, she's like. I saw her there. I don't really watch TV, but when I did see her giving her little speeches, she was like, you know, she sounded like Mussolini or something like that. We are going to do this, and you are going to do this. And I mean, oh my word, I mean, someone just needs to come in, you know, someone grab her by the head, someone grab her by the ankles, like dig a, a, a very deep ditch and throw her into it and then start covering her up with earth. I mean, she really is a piece of work. But yeah, I mean, so I got out during the first, during during halftime. But yeah, and it was quite shocking to me one time I went to, uh, it was in Manhattan, went to an event and they asked for us for proof of vaccination. We didn't have it. And so we were told to leave and we couldn't go. We had tickets. And it was, um, yeah, it was pretty shocking because it was the first I'd, I'd been exposed to actual, it's the first time I actually came up to a limitation that I minded about. Like so far I'd managed to dodge a lot of that. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting to see it unfold. It really has. Yeah. And yeah, I guess... We never know where it's going to go next. Well, no, I mean they're, they're getting a lot of pushback on these um, these so-called smart cities. Mm. Uh, you know, the fifteen-minute cities, the twenty-minute neighbourhoods, or whatever you want to call them. And and it's it's good to see people saying uh, no. Uh, I saw a good sign on one for Oxford yesterday, which is funny. It said you can stick your fifteen-minute city up your ass, which I thought was quite appropriate. Right. And and I think I think more and more when when you know. The people that aren't relying as much anymore on the mainstream for their information flow, that are doing what I always encourage people to do, which is ask questions and try and find better questions to ask, because that'll set you free. And start to think for yourself. Don't think like you. Don't think like me. Those are our thoughts, and we're doing them. Just, just think your own thoughts. Ask your own questions, and you'll find your own way. And as more people do that. You know, we're going to see a lot of changes eventually, but it's not going to be a lot of people like we talked about before, but that is encouraging to see that all the people are kind of throwing off all of this indoctrination that started from a very early age in preschool all the way through the schooling, that they're starting to ask questions. Not a lot, but enough people are, and it, it's it's so encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I think the the problem is a lot of people on, on some unconscious level, they're outsourcing their critical faculties because it's really not about truth for a lot of people. It's about what will my social circle think. But there's yeah. the number of divisions becomes so great that people like have less and less to lose from you've got people who were calling for other people to be cancelled, being thrown out of the cult because they don't and they don't agree with one or one other tenant and and suddenly they become a critic of cancel culture and, you know, people are just being divided left, right and centre. And soon people are going to have to rely on themselves. Have you read The Art of War? Um, I think I've listened to the audiobook once quite a long time ago, but I didn't fully ingest it. 
tell me okay it's it's that's one of the things is is about you know divide to conquer and you know e everything i saw in the covid thing was all about hypnosis it was all about mind control but there was so much 48 laws of powers and it was by a great book by robert green but the 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 art of war you could see what they're doing they turn everyone on themselves and like within within the the so-called truth community they turn everyone against each other in there and they cause division as well. Instead of ever saying, look, you've got your thoughts, I've got mine, but we have a common problem here. Can we focus on the problem and not on all these stupid little ideas and rabbit holes? Let's focus on the big problem right now. Yeah, and it's like, it's it's so easy to do it. And then certain people emerge as celebrities in the truth movement. And then this one thinks they're great and this other one thinks they're the devil and it's like how about you just take what's good about the information and if you yeah. can present it better then present it better if you don't like the way that someone presents it you know there's there's room for everyone but so and also i mean you said it's about how hypnosis that just goes down to like something like how i said we had two lockdowns in scotland thankfully i wasn't there for the second one they lifted the lockdown and then they brought in mandatory masking after lifting the lockdown. And but that also required, sorry for over talking, that also required people to be ignorant of what mandates are. Right. And how they work. Because the mandate, you have a mandate or a mandatee and a mandator. So the mandator offers the mandate to the mandatee. The mandatee has to accept it for it to become mandatory. Otherwise, nothing happens. Right. But they, they rely on people's ignorance. They go, it's mandatory. Right. No, it's just like all this business in, you look in all the law books and stuff about, say, a summons, which is an invitation, or it says you must wear a mask. Well, in the law books, must equals may. It's all an offer, mm. but they rely, they rely on people's ignorance. Right, and most people don't ha aren't going to dedicate hours and hours to understanding their rights. If we take that confusion, I thought it caused confusion when on one hand they're opening up, and on the other hand, they're telling... When you create confusion, again, sorry for over-talking, when you create confusion, then you have an instant in to someone's subconscious mind as they're trying to figure it out. The door's wide open for you to plant any information in there you want, which is why they were doing it, which is why the rules changed every five minutes, why it's this, then it's that, now it's the other. It's all NLP right, and exactly. stuff. And again, it's, when, you, when you know some of it, it's obvious. Right. So, uh, yeah, and there's another, fra there's another concept, an, an NLP concept at work there, which is... If you really want to bring someone deeply into a trance, you use a technique called fractionation, which is you bring them into the trance somewhat, and then you bring them out of the trance partially. That allows you then to bring them deeper into the trance. And you continue. And anyone who's a good flirt understands that's how chemistry works between a man and a woman as well. If you just go straight for it, it's two and ten. You need to flirt a little bit, then you need to relax a little. Then you flirt a little bit harder, and then you relax, and you talk about something that's not related. You use fractionation. It's a, it's a principle of how the human mind works. And this is what they were doing. They, they put you into lockdown, then they took you out a little bit, then they put you deeper into a lockdown. And they said, there's an, you know, they were using all, these, all this NLP stuff left and right. And... It makes me, uh, I'm wondering, what's your take then? Why do you think people are resisting the smart cities? I've not really given it much thought, but straight off the cuff, my response would be, as he says, loads of meaningless words to buy some thinking time. It would be that it's becoming more in your face that, hang on a sec, I, it means I won't be able to go there, I won't be able to go there. So in, instead of being able to ignore it, it's becoming more and more obvious that actually all my freedoms are disappearing. Right. You know, it's, it's like, um, oh, it's the best way to put it. I'm trying to think of an analogy and I don't really have a good one. If something hurts enough or is too hot, you'll finally take notice of it. So that, that's what they're doing. They're, they're at the point for a lot of people now where they're going, what the fuck? I didn't sign up for this because they, they can't ignore it. Well, yeah. And you might not be able to ignore vaccine injuries either for much longer. But I can you imagine it breaking news? Can you imagine it? I can't. I feel like people will just go on as if nothing happened. I feel like the CD... Well, that's why they have to control the media. They have to control that, the, the narrative machine, because otherwise 
people would go, hang on, you're telling me what? Yeah, and they choose what's on the media. I mean, like, they choose what people care about. If Yemen was being reported in the media instead of Ukraine, people would suddenly care about Yemen. But I kind of think, like, if the CDC put up a page on their site that said, oh, by the way, COVID's a lie, these um, vaccines do more harm and good, and we're just trying to kill you off in a big sacrifice to Molish. They could have that on their website and people would just go on as if it wasn't even there. <laughs> you know, people could say, look, the CDC have admitted it on their website. They're sacrificing you in a great uh, satanic ritual to Molish. And people say, shut up, you conspiracy theorist. Dude, it's on the CDC's own page. Why don't you just look it up? Oh, yeah, yeah, conspiracy theorists. Well, yeah, yeah, and they, they, I can sense a change coming for the that phrase as well, the conspiracy theorists, where claims are going to be made, and then we'll be the ones going, no, that's bollocks. Right. But they'll buy into the false claims again. It's going to be hysterical what's coming next. Hysterical as in funny, or as in people are going to go absolutely freaking nuts. Both. I, I find I'm laughing at more and more bizarre stuff these days because it's an easier way of staying sane, not going, oh, my God. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the strong ones will get there, I think. It's certainly going to be interesting, and it's kind of nice that you're giving a running, co running commentary on it via your interviews, you know, as we see the world progress into whatever the next stage is. Um, but, yeah, it looks like a lot of people are going to be sick and a lot of people are going to die. And, I mean, I guess... If something can't go on forever, it won't go on forever. I mean, there's just not enough able-bodied people to work to provide for everyone who's going to be injured, if they keep, especially if they keep on taking boosters. So there's going to have to be some other way to, some other ways going to emerge. The thing is, I, I just, I feel, you know, remote, I feel sad at the, because I, I just, at the thought of, people like dying alone, you know, with no one to take care of them. But I mean, it's the kids I worry about. I mean, adults, they had their chance. They were rude and unkind to people who tried to tell them the truth. And, you know, they even if they didn't specifically be rude to anyone, they gave, they, they made the world hostile by their compliance, you know. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they did. But you've you've got to. I found it's best to be gracious to let them make their choice. And, I understand. You know, treat them like little children. They're making a choice. You know, it, it's not a choice I would choose to make. They have their own reasons. Be it fear, confusion, ignorance, whatever. Right. I'm just trying to come to peace with the suffering. You know, because I'm like naturally a compassionate person. I'm trying to like. I, I am too, and I don't know whether you can come to peace with that. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's just, or I'm just going to have to accept what's going to go on. Yeah. But I can't, I can't let it drag me through there as well, because I've already made my choice. Mm. And I'm no good to anyone. If I'm absolutely down in the depths of despair about it, I've got to say, okay, look, that's your choice. If you want help, I'll do my best to help you. And if you don't, you know, on you go. Yeah. And that's where we come to. So it might be a good juncture to wrap up. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that is because this in many ways could make two separate episodes. Please keep doing what you're doing, your little short videos, your book, everything. It is so, so important to get your view, your take, your mindset on it because you'll reach people that only you can reach. Yeah, and I, I was enjoying doing the tech talks. I've got um, Farmalai People Die uh, as my tech talk handle. So I'm, I'm meaning to do more of those because they ha they reach people other mediums will not. Like TikTok is totally the place to go. And I'm going to get better and better at doing those one-minute videos. And they're fun as well. It's like, well, there's a one-minute pharma scandal that might reach someone. Yeah. It's the way people's minds work. I think it's genius what you're doing. Oh, thanks so much. I'm, I'm just an old talkative dinosaur, so I've got a lot to say on things. <laughs> No, it was it was really good for my writing as well, doing TikTok, because TikTok is so chatty that I'd have a portion of the book that I'd written out. I'd do the TikTok, and I'd, I'd find a new angle on it. So I'd then go and influence the writing to be more chatty, like my TikTok video. 
and then I'll put them up on YouTube and other platforms. But yeah, I mean, if people want to find me, I go to sevenpharmamyths.com to get the ebook. If you're interested in having a therapist or a counselor who's awake to this, what's going on, um, beyourselfandloveit.com is where you could find my professional site and send me a little email if you want to be yourself and love it. Adrian, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's great. Thank you for reaching out. It's on you, this one. It's great to make your acquaintance. And I'm extremely glad to have you in my network and be introduced to all of you at home as well. Thank you so much for listening. Mm. Good man. Good man. I'll speak to you soon, my friend. Speak again. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.